gentlemen, start your engines. There was one room in her house that was always kept locked. It was the garage. But I can't drive. Good morning to you. Uh, today on Motor Math, if the four-cylinder cruise is hoped to be Holden's saviour following the bankruptcy of parent company General Motors, why not just be offering drivers more of the same, another indistinguishable small to medium-sized car in an overcrowded market? Today, we want to look beyond it. We don't want to talk about old technologies, but new and sustainable ones. Good morning to you, Simon. Hey, good morning, Jeff. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. And a little bit later on... We're going racing with you, you at Wanneroo. What a total contrast. We're, we're doing the second half of the show about thrashing internal combustion engines around a racetrack. And the first part of the show, we're talking to Andrew about the uh, huge possibilities and, and the, and the um, opportunity which exists for the electric car in Perth. Andrew Simpson is from Curtin University's Sustainable Development Institute here to talk about the future of plug-in electric drive cars. Hello to you, Andrew. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? Good, Good Simon. Thank you. Andrew. Very nice to have you here. And look, if you've got a question for Andrew, it might be along the lines of are they ready for the market? Is the market ready for them? If How will they work? How will we recharge them? Whether or not you want to drive them, give us a call, one three hundred triple two seven twenty. Andrew, I think we've got you quite early on this. I understand this time next week you're delivering a big lecture. Yeah, that's right. Next uh, Wednesday down in Fremantle at the at the Sustainable Institute, we're going to have a, a public seminar from 4 till 6 p.m. Okay. And uh, the address is uh, number 3 Pakenham Street in Fremantle. And uh, we'll be talking all about electric vehicles, the products that are coming to market, but also how they're going to plug into the electric grid and provide us with more sustainable communities. And now there was a famous documentary, Who Killed the Electric mm. yep. Car, uh, only a few years ago. Um, do you think the electric car concept is uh, stepped well beyond that now? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Nobody managed to kill the electric car. Actually, the electric car is alive and kicking, and we're about to see uh, many products coming onto the market. And the the irony of the situation is that that, uh, GM has gone bankrupt. (laughs) The company uh, that tried to kill the electric car. So I think something misfired there. But, uh, yeah, electric cars are definitely not dead. Um, There was a a flourish of them in the early 90s, uh, and that didn't succeed for a variety of reasons. But uh, we're going to have a second chance, and this time the vehicles are even better. Give us a picture of what they will look like and how they will work. Yeah, well, the, the first cars that we're going to see um, coming to the market in Australia next year uh, will be uh, the Mitsubishi electric car, followed by some others from Nissan and maybe um, Toyota as well. Then there'll be some European cars as well, Renault uh, and others. But they'll be they'll be small city commuter vehicles. Um, they'll be perfectly functional. They'll work just as well as a Toyota Yaris or, or some other small car. Um, and their ranges will be uh, well over 100 kilometres per charge. So they'll certainly provide a lot of utility. And they, they're highway capable. So you, you can drive them on the freeways and uh, they'll have four seats and a boot and a stereo system and an air conditioner and, and heated seats and all the other things we're used to. Andrew, as a, as a lover of the piston engine, you know, the whole romance, the sound, the, the vibration, the feel and the way that piston engines work. I've got to tell you, I'm very, very excited about electric cars. And I've been um, doing a little bit of research on their potential for drag racing right. because all the talk is yep. delivered. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm an enthusiast. I'm interested in performance cars and, and classic cars and you know, that arena of the, mm-hmm. car, the car business. Now, an electric engine delivers 100% of its torque within the first revolution. That's right, Yep, from which, standstill. Which is 
you know, a drag racing <laughs> a dream come true. Yeah, and, and in the US, there's actually been a very uh, vibrant electric drag racing scene for many years. There's a couple of cars and a couple of bikes that have been doing some amazing things. I, I'm not a drag racer myself, so I couldn't quote the quarter mile times, but they're very quick. And, and anybody who does a quick search on the net will be able to see yeah. some videos of that. There's plenty on YouTube if anyone's interested yeah. in having a look at that. Now, Andrew, you're, you're quite a young man, and you come to us with a huge amount of authority around um, electric cars and their position in our culture and society. Tell me, has this been a passion for a long time? Yeah, it has been. Uh, I got started in this uh, racing solar cars across Australia in the in the late 90s when I was a uni student. Um, so oh, Can I just interrupt? I'm really glad because for years on our news bulletins, we saw stories about enterprising yes. young engineering students who race these solar cars. I don't know about you, but I always thought, whatever becomes of them and whatever becomes of that sleek, interesting design... Yeah. And now we've got proof. Sorry to interrupt, but no, that's, that's great. No, that's fine. Mm. Yeah, the, the solar cars have been the breeding ground for all of this. Um, the, the batteries, the lithium batteries, the highly efficient um, electric motors, they're all coming out of solar car technology. Um, and the big companies like Honda and Toyota and GM even have, have leveraged their solar car racing technology and put it into more practical cars. So uh, that was where I, I got my start. And then uh, I continued my university studies into postgrad and, and did some work and, and tried to get some projects off the ground here in Australia. Australia, but uh, about five, six years ago, there wasn't a lot of interest in EVs, electric vehicles in oh. Australia. So, so I went overseas uh, and was in the States for four years, working with the car companies in the States, some of the existing car companies and some new car companies. And uh, that's that's been a really great experience. But now I'm back here because I want to see these cars on Australian roads. Andrew, I've been doing quite a lot of reading around the Tesla car. And the, yep. the most recent report I read is where they uh, took the Tesla through London um, and they compared it to the new diesel Mini. Mm -hmm. And it, com it compared f fantastically well, um, the performance and the, yep. the quietness of it. There were so many advantages in the electric car. Tell me, have you, have you been working with Tesla? Yeah, I worked for Tesla for two years. Um, I joined the company when they first unveiled their Tesla Roadster, which is their, their first product, a, a very high-end sports car, faster than a Ferrari. Um, and it's, it's pretty expensive too, but it's a really good package, good value for money for the performance you get from it. Um, but uh, Tesla is actually working on some more models that will be more affordable. Now, the guys behind Tesla, are they the, is it the Google or the – who are the two guys that uh, were behind the Tesla company? Uh, they were actually a guy named uh, Martin Eberhard and yes. uh, Mark Tarpening. And then uh, Elon Musk joined them and, and provided a lot of the investment. But none of those guys were Google uh, people. There's a couple of guys from Google who've been large investors in the okay. company. Yeah. Uh, but they were all Silicon Valley um, yeah. types who started the, the company. Our guest this morning is Dr. Andrew Simpson, a research fellow in sustainable transport at Curtin University, 1300 720. If you've got a question for Andrew, give us a call. This is Ian. Ian, good morning. Yes, uh, Dr. Simpson. Um, I you don't have to be that formal, and he <laughs> looks a pretty relaxed okay. fellow. Mr. McGrath, you, no you can does. call me Andrew. Okay, Andrew. <laughs> Andrew, uh, the current limitations in regards to the technology, um, if you could explain what those current limitations are, and also just please explain uh, what needs to occur in regards to the technology to bring them uh, or to bring uh, electric cars into general use. Um, and perhaps you might like to also touch on something to, uh, in regards to the uh, battery technology. 
Okay, yeah, sure. So I, I would rather say that they're differences rather than limitations. I, I don't necessarily see them as limitations. Um, things that people normally talk about are the range on a charge. If you can only drive 150 k's on a charge, then that, that's not the same as a petrol engine. But for a very large segment of the market, that's okay. There's a lot of people living in the cities who will quite happily drive an electric car with limited range. Um, a similar issue is recharging times. Um, the, the first products that come to market will use you know, standard PowerPoints and that will be a, a slower recharge that you will do overnight. But again, there's a lot of people who are quite happy to, to plug their car in overnight and, and, and let it charge when they're not using it during the day. Um, there, so there's some of the common limitations in terms of uh, performance and functionality. The other big issue we're gonna see is that the, the pricing of those vehicles when they first come on the market is gonna be more expensive, but that's just typical of any new technology. When, when mobile phones and CD players first came on the market, they were pretty expensive too. So uh, given some time, I think uh, we'll see the prices come down and people will learn that these are uh, these products are a completely different type of car and, and they don't have to be a direct substitute for, for petrol cars. Ian, thanks for your call. Hi, Jeff. Yeah, good day, Frank. Um, Andrew and Simon. Um, yeah, what, in talking about the, the Toyota, or which one was it? The, oh, the Prius? Or? Prius, which is their existing electric one, isn't it? A hybrid, That's yep. a hybrid, yeah. Yep, okay. Um, so at this stage, they're all going to be substantially smaller than our current sort of crop of Falcon slash Commodore sedans. Is that the first? Yeah, the first ones coming on the market will be, but there are electric cars coming out in all segments of the market. So you just need to wait a few years, and you'll be able to get an electric sedan as well as a small right. car. Well, my, my point is that okay, you know, our, the average height of people is is growing all the time. If you pardon the pun. Right. Um, you know, I'm two point one meters. I've got a seventeen year old son who's about two point. Five. Yep. Um, yeah. Can Jeff get behind the wheel? I well, guess that's is the an question. easy fix, isn't it? I mean, the, yeah. it's actually the structure of the car, like the smart car. Um, you can be very tall and drive one of those, and they're small. Yeah. Mm. No, no. I mean, the Tesla Roadster is a very small car, but we have some pretty tall people buying them and driving them and loving them. So Robert um, wants to talk about uh, the, the Tesla sports cars. Hi, Robert. Yes. Hi. I want to buy one. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Mainly, yeah, mainly because you know it drives like an Elise, it looks like a Lotus. Yep. But um, I just wanted to know: is there any any chance of us ever being able to buy it here in in, in Australia, or is it just going to be a no-no? And how's how are they going? I gather that Tesla at Oslo um, just done a big link up with a large manufacturer as well and I wanted to see if that was progressing. Yeah, so uh, I, I haven't been at Tesla for six months so I'm just telling you what I what I know from the outside but uh, the, the Roadster is a right-hand drive, sorry, left-hand drive car so it's currently only being sold into left-hand drive markets like North America and continental Europe and I'm not aware of any plans for them to make a right-hand drive version for Australia or Japan or the UK. Andrew, it would be very easy because all the power unit yep. gearbox is in the rear of the car yep. and so it's simply changing it's suspension. It would be geometry. easy for them to do, Very. but uh, I'm not sure they're going to. Now, on that basis, Sam writes, what's the future then for heavy vehicles with, with uh, uh, electric engines, trucks, tractors, and earth-moving uh, equipment? And hall packs electric? What do you mean by hall packs? You know, the, uh, the the massive machines which move um, the iron ore up and down the pits. Yeah, they have electric motors in each of, of the yep. in each of the wheels. Yep. And, and the military has been using electric technology for a while now, and, and they're using it more for well, tanks and, and other vehicles. So. Precisely, because the torque is delivered yep. at very low revs, where you, yep. for moving massive amounts of iron ore yep. or whatever, that's where you need yep. that advantage. Now, it works very well in, in off-road applications. Yeah. One of the things we were talking about earlier was the... Um, you know, the, the application of the of electric car in daily life. Now, on tractors and, and other pieces of equipment, you have um, hour meters, so it actually tells you how, how long the motor's been running. Now, cars stand still 
for like 23 hours a day nearly. Yep. So that's a lot of recharging time compared to driving time. There's right. so many opportunities to recharge your car. It's just not funny, you know, yeah, just, work at home. We're going to get a – Peru's got a, an interesting issue uh, for us to consider, but just that thing of recharging and we will plug them in at home. And mm. that, that's sort of how we've always understood mm. it. Will there be a time not too far away where we will recharge at a petrol station? Yeah, I think so. So uh, in addition to, to home-based recharging, there are there are new companies emerging that are going to provide public and commercial charging infrastructure. Uh, one that's coming to Australia is called Better Place. Yeah, it's just been announced yep. too, I think, isn't it? And now, they are, they are first coming to the East Coast, so I don't know when they're going to come to Perth, but uh, they, they have a complete plan for, for electric vehicle ownership. They'll actually provide you with a car and the charging infrastructure and green power, all for a very sub- simple subscription-type model, just like mobile phones. What yeah. would be the initials of Better Place? BP. Ah, really. <laughs> um, and the, is the aspiration to to have a, a grid of those recharging stations? So, Definitely. So, yep. so if you're in, um, in in the city and suburbs of Perth, yep. you would have a reasonable expectation that where others go and buy diesel or unleaded, you'll be able to plug in? Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, Better Place are actually going to put uh, electric vehicle service stations along the, along the highways between the cities so that people can drive long distances. It's just so crazy well, it might work. Uh, Prue has a concern. I can barely hear her above the noise of her engine. Hello, Prue. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. Hi, everyone. Um, the reason I called in was because I nearly got squashed the other day by a, I think it must have been a hybrid car, uh, because it was so silent I couldn't <laughs> hear it reverse out of the driveway. And the first I knew was when the reversing lights were practically on top of me and I was walking past with the baby in the pram. Yep. So it was nearly, you know, a first for the hybrid, the first squashing of a person. Well, that's easy to fix with beeping uh, activators. Yes, I was just going to say yeah. that they need to sort of be compulsory on the cars because it was just not possible to know it was there until it was on top of me. Well, we are on things like electric uh, forklifts and yeah. items like that. Yeah, there, there's yeah. some there's some people working to, to fix that and figure out what uh, what regulations and, and sort of alerts we need we need built into the cars so that that doesn't happen. Cool, good. Pro, thank you. One, go on. Andrew, one of the concerns that I've got is the, you know, when the battery has eventually come to the end of its life, mm-hmm. the recycling of all the precious metals and the, you know, the nasty bits in there, can they be recycled and used again, or is it literally we're going to end up you know, re- recreating another problem other than the one we've got now? Well, the batteries are all completely recyclable, but um, before you recycle them, you can actually use them in other applications. In, in, in a car application, we normally say the battery's done when it's still got 80% of its capacity left. So you take those batteries out and give them to electric utilities or somebody else who wants some energy storage and get a new battery for the car. But then at the end of the life, yes, we can recycle them and there's a, a recycling industry building up uh, to, to meet that need. Could there be some nice combination between the people who who have you know, photovoltaic cells on their houses and like a spare set of batteries that you could run your house then put them in the car or swap them over when they you know when the car performance comes down past that 80 percent marker then you use it in your house for six months on the low period. oh absolutely yeah uh, renewable energy like rooftop solar and and batteries go together really well they're a match made in heaven mm. leo hello hello You've got one of sorts. I've got one, Andrew. <laughs> I got one locally. Yep. It was built in Balcata for yep. me. I've had it about three months now. Yep. It's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I can't. It's a Mitsubishi Mirage mm-hmm. conversion. And by the way, for Prue, I've got a beeper on mine when I reverse. That was built in as a safety measure on it by uh, the EV shop who do them. Yeah. And um, I'm just finding it incredibly. Uh, it's the most exciting car I've had. Uh, tell us a little. Tell us a little bit. Uh, do you get Do you get um, 150 kilometres out of every charge, or 100, 150? No. Well, well, what 
what I did was I wanted to keep the back seats in this particular model. So my battery pack is only good for about 70Ks, but I only drive about 50Ks a day. I take the kids to school. I drive to work. I top it up at work when I get here. Yeah. And uh, I drive it home again, do the shopping. I, I do 95% of my driving in this car now. So I've basically kissed the oil companies goodbye. So no more price gouging from then on holiday weekends. No, now, does that, this is important. Does that give you... Uh, not a smugness, but a, a feeling of immense satisfaction, Leo? It, it really does, because I've got a kilowatt of solar panels on my roof as well. And I'm also signed up for renewable energy for natural power from Western Power. So this thing's running off complete renewables. It, it, it literally has got zero emissions. And uh, I, I'm finding the whole driving experience with this, it, it, the performance is comparable to the petrol version of it. I'm beginning to look at petrol cars now and thinking how dumb they are, actually. So they are <laughs> burning up this precious resource that we have. Like, it, uh, I mean, fossil fuels, petroleum, is such an incredible resource, can be turned into much more useful yeah, things. Agreed. Than oh, just, yeah, that's what they all say, just Leo. burning it. Leo, congratulations. I wonder yeah, if you will be one of 50,000 drivers. Let's go, to, let's go to George. Hi, George. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, over the years, we've all... Uh, complain about oil companies ripping us off the price of petrol going up and up. I wonder whether down the track we'll be cursing the electric uh, company, whoever that is, uh, the cost of electricity just getting dear and dear, so expensive to run the electric car. God, I can remember when electricity was only so much a unit, and God, look at it now, it's just so expensive to run the electric car. Well, all I can say is uh, that for the utilities that have already got experience with uh, electric cars, they're actually offer, offering cheaper tariffs for electric cars because electric cars can charge during the night when utilities are desperate to sell more power. So, uh, you know, maybe you're right, but for now, uh, it's cheaper to get electricity for electric I cars. I think the answer to that is, you know, the, the nature that we can, the, you know, the fact that we can gain energy not from out of the ground but from the sun. Yep. So, like, it's there is no end to it. It's yep. it's there's no no sustainability problem. It exists already. Hey, tell us, remind us again when the seminar is because we've got to go yeah, racing. I'm going. Monroe. Yeah, sure. So the seminar is next Wednesday afternoon, 10th of June, from 4 to 6 p.m. at our, at our offices in Fremantle. Now, just before we go, Andrew, and I just want to quote the incredible um, inventor and uh, philosopher Buckminster Fuller mm -hmm. when he said, "There is no crisis of energy. There is only a crisis of intelligence. Oh, maybe, okay. maybe we're getting smarter." Absolutely. Maybe you've become a bit of a philosophical show-off. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I've always been a show-off. <laughs> Andrew, thanks so much for coming in. I hope we get the opportunity to talk to you again. No Thank worries, you. Jeff. Before we finish off today, Simon, um, well, this, oh, is where, this is where we go. This from is where the I sublime, feel guilt. This is the sublime <laughs> to the ridiculous. This is the story of one man's little drive around the Wanneroo circuit. Have a listen. Here we are up at uh, Wanneroo Park Raceway and uh, today is the Porsche Club of Western Australia Club Driver Training Day and it's my first time on this track for many years. I've just had my car scrutineered, which means the guys came down and looked at it. There's a whole collection of very exotic and very beautiful Porsches of all descriptions and price ranges. There's a couple here that are worth uh, probably in the vicinity of a quarter of a million dollars each and then there's my car, which is um, much less, shall we say. Just done five laps by myself without uh, any tuition, and uh, it's hot. I'm very hot. The adrenaline is uh, pumping through my body. A couple of moments there where I, I had some reason for concern, 
but I got to say, it was fantastic. I loved it. Anyway, uh, pretty soon John Herney, who's the uh, chief instructor for today, is going to take me around the track, and we're going to uh, see how I go. So I'm now sitting in the car with uh, John Herney, who's my instructor for this morning, and uh, John's going to take me around in my own car and uh, tell me uh, what I need to do and all the rest of it. He's, he's just described my car as the best handling front engine car ever built. How's that? We'll find out today. We're in the pit lane, just about uh, ready to go out in a few minutes. John, where did you start your, uh, your racing interest? Oh, really? Uh, when I was about six, <laughs> my dad taking me to uh, Sydney Speedway, the old Speedway Royal, and to the old Mount Druitt circuit in just outside Sydney in New South Wales when in the mid-1950s when I was just a wee lad. That's all I've ever really done. So, John, just like me, when that happened, you got the bug and you were gone. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sort of we moved to Perth and I, I can remember going to the Australian Grand Prix at Cavisham in 1962 and seeing Jack Brabham and Bruce McLaren and Alex Davison and all those guys. And then I had the enormous privilege as a, as a teenager helping uh, all the guys and girls who built the racetrack here at what we now call Barbagallo Raceway over the summer of 68, 69. So, John, what are we going to do when we go out? I'll just do a couple of laps at reasonable pace, just talking my way around, pointing these things out to you and showing you what I'm doing as we uh, just try and maintain a sort of stream of consciousness type commentary, just show you about the whole environment and uh, all the salient points that you need to look for out on the circuit. Well, I'm looking forward to that, John. Uh, after I went out without you, I'll definitely notice the difference. Okay, so we're heading down the pit lane now, going past flag point one. The first thing we're going to do is just move the car a little bit to the right, just to uh, check if there's any oncoming traffic. Uh, got a green light here at the end of pit lane, so we're clear to go. Tightening radius right-handed, so you start out nice and wide like this. Gradually bring the car in all the way through the corner. Apex is over here on the right-hand side. Maintain the right for a little bit. Cut back to the left to the end of that concrete strip. Then do an early turn for the crest up over here in the C-red corner. As soon as the road straightens up, kick into the fast right-hander like this. Rear shocks are a bit soft in this side. Down here into Cold Corner. Looking over here on the left-hand side. A little bit of a brake here. Brake and turn along the edge of the road. Heel and toe back to third. There's the apex cone there. Acquire that. We're just flat to the floor on the exit of Cold Corner. Let the car gradually move to the left-hand side of the road for the run down the back straight so we don't slow up any of the faster cars. Fourth gear, up to fifth gear. Getting up to about 180 down here, maybe a little bit more. Braking now, big brake, heel and toe, fifth gear, straight back to third. There's the apex cone there. Just clip that curb on apex right out to the left-hand side, down the pit straight, third into fourth. Flick it into the fast right-hander like so. Absolutely nail it to the floor. John, I'm actually very impressed with the performance of this car, uh, considering its age and uh, what it is. The 968 is really an absolute sleeper. They really are a, a delightful car um, and uh, quite a bargain second-hand if you get a nice one. Oops. Oh, very entertaining. You don't have to do that, Simon, but I don't mind. It's OK. Every corner we make it through is a good thing. Oh, how nearly 200 kilometres an hour going over the top of the hill. That's brought to you courtesy of the ABC. Eight cents a day. You gotta love that.
That was fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm not sure if I actually learned very much, but uh, I was listening as hard as I could as I was clenching. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I'll sit in the studio. You go out and do the really good things. That's the way it should be. Natural order of things, Jeffrey. That was great fun. See you next week. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Not a mouse. <laughs>